Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Hey, good morning. My name's Tim. I am the senior pastor here at the church. Good to see you guys this morning. If this is your first time with us, welcome. And uh, if you're a visitor from the beach, you should move here, or to the beach, you should move here. Just want you to know that. Um, uh, you will find an advocate here in this church that says move on down. We would love to have you here. And uh, come on. Uh, we are in a series uh, called A Generous Life. And you know what? You guys came back this Sunday after last Sunday. Because last Sunday we talked about the... That's right. We talked about the tithe, and you guys came back. I don't. I don't think we lost anybody, probably. Uh, and when you talk about uh, generosity, and you talk about giving in the Bible. And as a follower of Jesus, you have to talk about the tithe, and you have to talk about generosity in God. And we're in our third week now uh, in this, and uh, we're going to touch on a very interesting subject this morning. Matter of fact, uh, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, myself anyway, but I want to read a passage of Scripture from Acts. Uh, 20, where Paul is writing this letter. He's with a group of leaders. He's with, uh, he's, um, he's talking about why he was with them. And he mentions this attitude somewhat of giving and his attitude as a, a church leader. And, and he says these words, he says, now I commit to you, this is his parting prayer to this group in Acts 20 verses 32 through 35. Now I commit you to God And to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul is saying that the mission is the most important thing and that all of this helping people who can't get along and of course there was amazing poverty during this period of time when this passage was written. But he had his detractors as well. He had people who accused him, just like nowadays, and some people are in it, for the money. And there were people that accused him of the same thing at that time. And Paul says, hey, you know what? You want to look at my life? Basically, when he said, look at my hands, he says, I would be doing this whether anybody supported this or not. This is what I would be doing. Look at my life, and I pray your blessings, God's blessings on you, so you can see what God is up to and why we should work together. I don't covet this for myself, but I covet this to see that the message and see that the gospel and that the weak are taken care of and that the gospel gets out. That was Paul's uh, approach to it. In another passage of Scripture, of course, he says that, you know, you should support the church so it can do the work of the gospel. At the same time, he goes, if you don't, (laughs) that's all right. I'm still going. You know, I'm still going to do it if I have to do it with my own hands. And that was the early church and plowing these new roads and, and trying to get the good news of Jesus out. Now, I, I've always been a very pragmatic 
person to a fault in some ways. Uh, I, I'm a confused individual uh, in that I'm a musician and I was raised like uh, trained as an engineer. And so I love the arts and I love beauty and, I, and it touches me deeply. And at the same time, I like numbers and I like things that line up and make sense to me. And I know that in church, as I haven't even mentioned this in our series yet, there are practical needs. There are practical needs of the building you're sitting in. That requires that somebody, you know, somebody takes responsibility for it and says, hey, we're going to have a nice place for people to come and sit and worship and learn how to follow Jesus and do outreach with. Uh, and, and that is certainly a big part of it. It's not like a young friend of mine a few years back paddled over to me in the water. And uh, this is when we first started this church. He paddled over and he, he looks at me and says, so Tim. How much does the government pay you to do church? <laughs> and I looked at him, and this guy was just getting his degree from college. And I said, excuse me? As my wife says to me, like, excuse me? You know, and I, I, he says, well, the government pays, supports the church, right? That's, that's how you guys exist. I said, uh, no, they take from us. They don't <laughs> give to us. You know, I'm a self-employed person as a pastor. You know, we pay all our taxes, everything. No, no, the government does not give us money back. No, no. He says, well, how do you exist? I said, well, you should come out one Sunday and see. Because this is how it exists. Because people come in and they go... I want to be a part of this, and I want to support this, and, and I want to get in, like, like Jay was saying, and be a part of it. And, you know, there's something that is worth giving your life to. And being a generous person is really the normal Christian life. It's not anything out of the ordinary. It shouldn't be a shock to us that the, that the generous God that we have that sent his only son was so generous with us that... You know, we're called to walk in his footsteps. And what a joy to be generous. So this is, you know, this is uh, just following in his footsteps. And we're unpacking what it means for us as a church and as individuals to indeed live a generous life. And so you've got to fill in on the back of your, uh, of your handout. If you want to flip it over, uh, there's four fill-ins this morning on the back as we're going to unpack a, a few scriptures that are uh, very interesting. There's a couple that uh, I find, uh, well, I'll, yeah, I'll tell you in a minute. I want to get ahead so bad. It's bad I'm holding myself back. But, but this is called first because uh, God is, you know, he calls this first fruits in the Old Testament. One of the, the tithe is like a first fruit, as we're going to see. And his son, you know, he gave his son first before we could ever know salvation. And, and we're going to unpack what it means. And in the Old Testament, some of the uh, practices they had spoke to the firstborn, first fruits. And there is a reason. God said these things. As a friend of mine always says, there's a reason for that, and there is a reason for this. Sometimes we pass over, especially Old Testament writings, and we go, ah, weird, nah, you know, a bunch of people, ignorant people, you know, they don't know what they're doing, let's just pass this page and go on, not realizing that just maybe, maybe God is speaking through the culture at that time, and it if you look at the Old Testament with the lens of backward from New Testament to Old Testament and realizing that God is pressing into the culture of that day with his own voice, with his, trying to get them to see what he's doing and about to do in Jesus Christ, you can read the Old Testament. It'll open up to you. 
it will look much differently to you than it does when you just start reading it and going, weird, I, I don't get it. It will help that. And so we're going to look at first fruits this morning and, and because it's mentioned so many times in the Old Testament. So uh, I'm going to pray for us and uh, we're going to jump in right to the first fill-in. So Father, thank you for time together this morning. Thank you for a lovely May morning. and. Uh, I thank you for your presence here as we worshiped you. Thank you that you are indeed a generous God. I pray that you breathe uh, life, that you make the word come alive to us, that you help me in my weakness. Uh, give me the gift of teaching, uh, Lord, over the next few minutes. And uh, Holy Spirit, would you come? You said you would come and teach us all things. And if we didn't know something, didn't have wisdom, we could ask and you would give it to us. And so we asked for that this morning. So come and teach us, Lord, we're here. And we want to hear, I want to hear, and uh, bring your word to life. And do a work, not just inform us, Lord, but change us. Come and do your work. We want to be a generous people. And so thank you for this time, Father. Amen. Amen. Okay, your first one is this. Now, the first fruits. Why would God want the first from us? God asked for the first because... He is first, right? That's your first one. My feelings are not complicated. You know, um, God asked for the first from us because he is the first. He's the first. Um, that, again, I think explains uh, the scripture we're about to read. And that we, why would he ask for the first fruits? Why would, like the first time you harvest the field, take the very first part of it and you set it aside and you give it to him? Why would your firstborn in the, during this day uh, be pointed out to be given to the Lord? Why first? Why first? I believe all of these passages are pointing to the fact that God himself is first. God himself is first. In the Old Testament, uh, we read so many things, as I said, we don't get that. It, what I do is, uh, I think I've got a picture of this, what I do in books and what I do in my Bible. If you can see that eyeball and that question mark. <laughs> I had a boss I had a boss back in the 70s who told me when I wrote my notes up from, for uh, the project I was over that anything I wanted to go back to, and, and uh, I had to keep a legal record to of some things I did to put an eyeball by it in the margin. And that was 40-some years ago, and I, I've done it ever since then. And so any book I'm flipping through, if I see an eyeball, it means go back take a look at it but I also have question marks and I hope it gives you some comfort that this pastor has question marks in his bible in other words you need to come back to this because I don't get it yet what does this mean and so this passage in scripture, scripture for quite a few years had a question mark and an eyeball by it and uh, this is a story of Cain and Abel some of you guys remember the story right and uh, let's let's uh Let's read just a bit of it, and uh, we'll unpack it here. Genesis 4, 3 through 5. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor, favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Remember the story? You know the outcome too, right? Yeah. Where the Yeah, it, it wasn't good. He was so angry at this. So angry that he killed his brother. He got angry and and I had read this scripture, I don't know how many times and I was like, "Lord, I, I don't I don't get this, you know? I mean, the guy brings an offering and 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 he brings it to you and you go, "No, sir, don't like it. Nope. I'm not going to take it." 
not going to take it. But then the other guy brings an offering and you go, I like it. I like it. And, you know, our, our minds go to, well, I thought God loved everybody. And I thought, God, you know, what, what is up here? And then I read two books. One, and there's, this book is for sale out for 10 bucks. And a, a lot of this, I put reference to Robert Morris, The Blessed Life. Uh, a lot of this comes out of here. And I read this book at the time, but I also read uh, Bruce Waltke's commentary on Genesis. And he mentioned something about this passage I had never seen before. By the way, uh, who wants one of these? I'm not the first person up here gets it. Here you go. <laughs> That's not fair to the ones in the back. I just thought about it. Uh, okay, somebody in the back who wants <laughs> Come on, right there. Yeah. <laughs> here you go. I used to give away books when we first started this church. I'd have boxes of them on stage and just give them away. And uh, I, I don't, the afterword in that book, when you get to it, uh, I don't necessarily agree with that theology but the rest of the book the rest of the book is is fantastic but I read that book and I read Bruce Waldke's commentary on Genesis which is wonderful and uh, he pointed out some things and notice this maybe you've already got this I'm a little slow but maybe you got this in the course of time right in the course of time Cain brought some that means what well I'll get to it you know I'll, I'll get this offering to God in the course of time. Just take my time and do it. It wasn't expedient. It wasn't a priority to him. It was just whatever. I'll bring it to him. But notice this also. Cain brought what? Some of the fruits. Oh, I got this. Oh, I'll take this. And he brought it to God. Well, then you look at Abel's and look what it says. Abel also brought an offering. Fat portions. Oh, fat around the steak when it's cooking. You can smell that sweetness. Oh, man. You're getting hungry. From some of the firstborn of the flock. Firstborn is an intentional upfront priority number one. It's speaking to, I believe, every bit of the best of the first. And that is God is best and he is first and he deserves the first and the best. Not just because he's not egocentric. He doesn't have to have it, but he's sending a signal and he's expressing himself down through the thousands of years to say, don't you get who I am? Don't you get who I am? I'm first. I'm first. I was here. I've always existed. Nobody created me. I can't come second. I can't come in second place. There is no second place for me. I am first. First. And God looks at Abel and he goes, I like it. Now he does, he does try to calm Cain down if you read the story. But like, honestly, like some of us do when we start talking about giving, Cain gets riled up. He gets very angry at God. And he gets angry at people who, you know, he gets angry at the ones who are doing it the way that God enjoys for them to do it. So he gets so angry, he wants to kill his brother, and he does. And uh, this is how things touch our lives so much. But I think in this picture that I had the question mark, this, this passage of Scripture, it all makes sense for me from that first and the fourth chapter of Genesis. Now as I read through the rest of the Old Testament and reading about firstborn and first fruits, I realized 
You know, God didn't say he hated Cain. He actually said, I'll take care of you even after this. I'll do what I can for you. But life didn't go that great for him. But God was trying to say to him, look, I'm first. And if you, if you want it to go really well for you, you need, you need to let me be a priority in your life. Let me, like, we were talking about the tithe uh, last week, and if, 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 which I don't have 10 $10 bills, but if I had 10, $10 bills out here and I went one, ten, second, third, fourth, fifth, and down the road, which one would be the tithe? The first one. That's exactly right. But... You know, that's the way that Abel looked at it. Abel took the very firstborn, the first one, to recognize who is first. God is first. And that was all through Israel. There's a theme pointing to this. And honestly, I, I think a lot of us know that things, I don't know, I, I feel better when God is first in my life. How about you? I mean, did, did God ask to be first in your life when you came to him? Did God say, make me first? I mean, he said that to me, please, you know, let me be first in your life, Tim. I, I, I'm king. I'm not second. I'm not third. I'm not fourth. No idols in place of me. Put me in first place. And I, I truly believe this is a part of the scripture from the very beginning, not long after the fall, where God is setting it up again to say, look, put me first. Put me first. So God expects the first or receives the first because he is first. God can't change. It's called the immutability of God. And that is that he says, I don't change. I don't. You know, I don't change, I don't change who I am and I don't change what I can receive and I can accept. And it's honestly that God cannot accept leftovers because he's first. He is first. He's king. I, I tried to think of something that would be uh, some kind of example. And the closest thing I could come to is if we're in here preaching and Dr. Billy Graham showed up. And, uh, and he, he looked at me and he says, Tim, I, I, came, I came here. I will be here the whole church service. And I went, well, I'll let you close the service out, Dr. Graham. <laughs> what would I say? What did that say about my opinion of him? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the last, the leftovers. I think we can squeeze. I can squeeze maybe five, seven minutes out of my sermon for you, Dr. Graham. And I will let you have that portion of the service. You know, that actually speaks to him, but humble man that he is, he would say, I'd look forward to hearing it, you know. And, uh, and, but, but God, you know, it does speak of how we feel and it, what stature we place God, you know, how big he is. Is he first? Is he second? Does he get our leftovers? Does he, it does speak to him. And there is a discipline in this that disciples us. Disciple, discipline, same root words, right? And so that helps disciple us in always remembering that God is first. He's always been first. Now look, you know, we don't have to make him first, but that we, in our own lives, but that won't mean that he's not first. <laughs> You know, we can treat him secondarily, but that doesn't mean he's not the first. And God is trying to line up his people with him so that they acknowledge what is true. And so they can be his people. I believe that. And it's good for us. It's a, it's a good discipline. Uh, and how I treat him, you know, reflects what I believe in of him. So that's the first part. Um, and uh, one of the writers, either Waltke or, or Morris, says that if God is first in everything else, then everything else will find its proper place. If God is first, then it, everything else will find its proper place. 
I was reminded uh, to, of this this week. This has been one of these weeks as a pastor where I've experienced about everything you can name. And uh, one is a friend who lost a child. And it's coming up on an anniversary. And uh, they called me and, and was, we were on the phone and he, he mentioned the scripture where Jesus says, you have to love me more than you love your mom, your dad. Remember that? He even uses hate in some translations. Hate your mom, your dad to this. In comparison is what he's meaning to me. In other words, making me first. And his friend said that he heard the Lord speak to him that this week. As it's coming up on the anniversary. And in his voice, I could hear a consolation, not... Not uh, abrasion or or any type of uh, you know hardness. It was a softness and a compassion. And I said, "Hey, you sound like this gives you comfort." He says, "It does," because I realized that before before I ever lost him, God wanted him. God wanted himself to be first in my life, above my family, above everyone. And that, that love, the love that I would have for God, as being first would take care of me and during the loss if I had him as first. And he said, I realize that again, even with him gone, if Christ is first, then his love is going to be first and paramount in my life. And he took great comfort in that. It was a horrible story with his family and all that, what he went through. There's power in acknowledging that God is first. There's healing in that. There's a faith building in that. And I think God is telling us that through the Old Testament. And that's your next fill-in. And that is that God emailed his intentions in requiring the first. I used emailing. You can text. You can whatever. You know, Instagram does whatever your favorite uh, way of messaging is. I think God all through time has been emailing and sending these obvious symbols through the culture of I am number one and I want you for myself. You, you, because you need me. I created you. You cannot be what you're supposed to be if I am not number one in your life because I know who you are and I know who I made you to be. So you should, and that's all of these practices with Cain and Abel and the first fruits and, and over and over again. In Exodus 13, 12 through 13, this is another one of those question mark passages. And I've read this before and, and not completely got it until the last few years. In Exodus 13, 12 through 13, we read these words. You are to give over to the Lord the first offering of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. If you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. Now, I would read that and go, poor donkey, I think they're cute. I mean, because you're born a donkey, you know. Uh, but, but listen, in the Old Testament, there's only two things. There's only two things that could be done. There were no other options. And that is you either were redeemed or you were sacrificed. There was clean animals and unclean animals. Clean food, unclean food. All of this in Israel's history, I believe, pointing directly toward Jesus Christ. Pointing directly toward God's first. Always. This donkey is an unclean animal. So what happens to the donkey? A clean animal has to be sacrificed for him. 
Are you starting to see the metaphor, the picture become clear? Who was unclean? What did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus walk on the scene? Behold, the Lamb of God, who what? Takes away the sins of the world, the unclean, the Lamb of God, the one and only, the first Son of God, comes and gives his life for this donkey (laughs) so that I could be redeemed. Now, this culture was not the, I mean, the Israelites were not the first culture to do animal sacrifices. I want you to understand that. They were doing this in all the cultures. This is how God does this. He steps down in the midst of these people and he goes, I'm going to speak to you through what you're experiencing, but I'm going to bring you along. You guys are doing this, but I'm going to show you what I'm up to. And so he steps into that system of sacrifices and he begins to build the case for his own son being sacrificed for the unclean, us. You get this? The first man, this is good stuff. Did you know this was in the Bible? Did you know this? There's stuff like this in the Bible. I mean, wow. Amazing. And I mean, God, uh, Rich Nathan, Pastor Rich Nathan, I heard him say this probably 25 years ago. He said, God is a lousy poker player. He always is showing his hand. <laughs> and in the Old Testament, he's like got his cards and he goes, oh yeah, donkey, uh, sacrifice, Jesus is coming. Uh, you know, that's he just showing his hand all through the Old Testament of his love, of his care, of his concern. And so that firstborn comes and is sacrificed. And, and God's telling us this through all of the Old Testament. When you read it, you look for that. Look back through the cross. Look back through the New Testament and read the Old Testament. And look for signs of God telegraphing, emailing, texting to you his grand plan within the culture that Israel lives in. And you will be amazed at how long-suffering he is to try to reach us and to reach this world. So 16 times uh, the firstborn is mentioned in the Bible. Uh, and it's, you know, if it's clean, it's to be sacrificed. If it's unclean, it has to be redeemed. Uh, there's no third, you know, third way of dealing with this. It, that's it for God, one or the other. And so, uh, wow, you know, that's a part of the giving too. Every time we give the first, every time we give the first, we, we recognize that in our giving of God's giving his first. And that's why we celebrate. That's why we applaud. That's why we're so happy to be able to give. Because it is a testimony to the great love of God in giving his first for such an unclean donkey. (laughs) And uh, every offering that we give like that is a celebration and a testimony. So I guess we could say, this is your third feeling, that Jesus is God's tithe. Think of that. Jesus is God's tithe. He gave his first is only. He gave it. Willingly. He gives it. In Romans 8, 29. We read, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the what? Firstborn. That's right. Among what? Many brethren or brothers and sisters, the firstborn. It's like Jesus was given first so there could be a return later. God gave first. Didn't give leftovers, did he? He didn't go say, hey, what kind of angel we got over here? That guy has really been sorry on the job. And hey, come here. You're going down and you're going to die. Okay. What? You know, it's like, no. No, God goes, 
No, I'm going to give the best I've got. I'm going to give my son. That he could be sacrificed for the sins of the world. That he can clean the unclean up. Because nothing else could do it, actually. It cost God everything. The best. His first. It was his tithe. On a return. On a return. Because that he would see more brothers and sisters to come. Uh, you are the joy of that return. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning. You're, a joy, you're the joy and you're the proof of that giving of his first and his best. You stand in the narrative. You stand in the story. You stand in the middle of it of saying, I'm so glad Jesus came for me. I'm so glad the Father gave his best and he gave it willingly. And he told the world it was coming. It says Jesus was crucified. Really, like before the foundations of the world, it was going to happen. He planned it out. At the same time, he planned you. He planned you before you were ever born. And he, he knew there was going to be a problem. And he knew he was going to have to redeem you. And he knew all of this. And so he, t- he telegraphs, he emails, he sends it along the way as we struggle through life. And we try to find meaning. We try to get ourselves cleaned up. And we just can't get free. And then Jesus comes. He's given. And, you know, this, let me give you your last one here, Tegan. And then I'll have some closing words. Your, your last to fill in is this. God blesses the faith to give first fruits. We think it's the, the money that's blessed, but it's the faith that we give and that we give that God blesses. When we give that first 10%, that is tithe. Tithe from last week, you guys know, means 10%. Giving an offering is not a tithe. Ten per, the first 10% of our income or anything that comes into us is the tithe. Anything after that is an offering. There's no offering until the tithe has been given because it points straight toward God, straight toward there's no substitutes. It's Jesus straight toward it. And so uh, God blesses that faith because it does take faith to give. It does take faith to tithe. Some of you are freaking out, like 10%. You know, it's like, man, you know, that's more my cable, uh, you know, whatever. And, uh, <laughs> Ten percent, but some of us, we can tell you in here right now, some of us have been doing this for almost 50 years. More. You just learn to discipline yourself and you more and God takes care of you and more. But there is that time of faith. God blesses the faith that it takes, just like the scripture we just read, that in the future he would have more brothers and sisters, Jesus would. So he gives his son. And there, sometimes there's a lag time. There was a 2,000-year lag time for Tim Holt. You know, God's like, man, I paid the price 2,000 years ago, Tim. Come on, let's go. You know, there's a lag time in that. As God believes, I don't, he doesn't have to have faith. He knows everything. He's, you know, omniscient and uh, omnipresent and, and all. But, but think about it. I mean, I kept God waiting a long time. <laughs> 20 years. I mean, I was 20 years old before I came to know Jesus. To me, that was a lifetime. I so wish I'd have known when I was one, <laughs> you know, or much younger about Christ. I really do. I wish somebody had told me way earlier than 20 years of age. But it's never too late, even today, you know, for you. Because some of you are standing there. Your tithes yourself. You've got to give yourself, first and foremost. That comes. That's what you give. It's the best you have is yourself because God gave you life. He gave you hope and dreams, and that's your tithe. That's you. 
And you put it in front and you say, God, I believe you're first. I believe you're the one and only. And that faith, that faith begins to just blow up. God comes and he honors that faith. So it's, it's like the giving. Is, it's not the money that we go, bless this money. Yeah, we pray over the offering so it'll go a long ways and all. But it's the faith you extend in trusting that the one and only true God knows what he's doing. And that he is number one. God honors that faith. Listen to this scripture, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Say it. While we were what? Still sinners, Christ died for us. You see that? Before he ever sees a return. Before he ever gets the church business newsletter. You know, before he ever got that. He's like, in while you were still sinners, I gave. I gave because I believed there was going to be a return for my investment of my son on the cross. More brothers and sisters for him to have. So all of this talk about giving and tithing and all of this is it's, it's not some fancy, convoluted, theological way of squeezing people for money. It is a message from a God who loves us, who is number one, who knows that if we will make him number one in our lives, things will go better in every way, or at least he will be there with us through. My friend that went through such tragedy, and it's still a tragedy, it's still very difficult. The presence of God in his life when I listen to him in the pain, but the closeness of God's presence to reveal to him things that you would never see if you weren't in that place of pain amazes me. I'm like only a God who is number one, could ever reveal to a person hurting that much how much he loves them and cares for them. That is God. He is the one and only God. And he deserves our soul love, our soul worship, and our soul obedience. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I do believe, God, there, there's a few in here today that... They've been holding back their lives. Their lives, let's just say our lives are a tithe and we've been holding it back. We're like, give a little bit of ourselves and give a little bit of ourselves here and a little bit of ourselves there and try to be good and try to do this. But we just have not in faith stepped out and said, here it is, my first, my best, my life. And so what a great Sunday to do that as testimony to you being first. And so while we're praying if, if that's you this morning, would you just say, Tim, that's me. I'm, I'm going to respond to that this morning. I'm giving, I'm surrendering to God's call because he's asking for that offering. <laughs> he's asking that of you. You would not be in church on a Sunday morning if he didn't love you, care for you, and is calling you. I believe that with all of my heart to come and follow him. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. You can learn more about us and access a video archive of our messages by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel led to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or download the PushPay app on your smartphone and search for Seacoast Vineyard Church.